Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing systemic change and how to thrive in your system as a catalyst of change. I am delighted to welcome Shannon Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy, co-authors of the book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout, A Catalyst Guide to Working Well. Tracy, Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you so me. much, Susie. Thank you for accepting. Tracy, Shannon, you are both catalysts, which you'll define for us later. And you've both worked in large organizations as entrepreneurs, change makers, and you've got a quest, a quest to help catalysts find and accept themselves, but also to give them a toolbox so that they continue to innovate and drive change, but also to take others with them, a quest I share as a fellow catalyst. (laughs) And there is no better and more needy time in organizations for catalysts than now. As we move into the post-COVID world, which was already interconnected, but is now looking very different. And you have dedicated your book to defining, formalizing and supporting this catalyst role and how catalysts can lead more effectively in this VUCA world. So I was immediately drawn to the title of the book, (laughs) the move fast, break shit, burn out. I thought, wow, that's me. But also the bright red lightning bolt that marks the cover of your book. So my first question has to be, what inspired you to write the book and how did you get to that title? Inspiration to write the book unfolded in different ways over time that was the universe continuing to tell us that this needed to be written. Mm. One part of it was that when the research started, you know, looking at the other research out there at the time, and this is the, the late 2015, early 2016 timeframe, there really weren't other books that talked about the people behind innovation. We could find all kinds of books at that point around innovation and processes of innovation and agile innovation, right? That was kind of the big trend. But the fire starters, the troublemakers, the disruptors that really sat behind it, it was really empty on the shelves Mm. as you tried to look for this. Mm. And so that was the first awareness as we began to kind of put you know, articles out there on LinkedIn and how they catch with wildfire of like, people need access to this information. Yeah. And so that sense of this has to be made just public in some way. Shannon and I came together in late 2017, and we like to walk the talk of what we, you know, kind of suggest people do out there. And we had built a, a long-term vision. And on that vision, we were like, we know there's a book somewhere. <laughs> We didn't know where and when exactly, but we were like, we have to make this information available. Mm. And then we had this really pivotal moment with our first advisory board where we were asking them at the time we were running retreats and we were like, how do we help get the word out to catalysts? Because one of the realities is many of us as catalysts don't know that there's a way that we're special. We often feel broken or alone or like we're weird in this world in the way that we see things and the way mm. that we you know move into action. And so we were like, how do we help get the word out there? And they were so kind and putting sticky notes up on our user journey. And then we're kind of looking at us like, do they not know? And they're like, you have to write it down. <laughs> you have to make this information available to everyone Simple so that, that they can read it. Right. And they can embody it and they yeah. can be with it and they can really mm. step into themselves. And so once we heard that, we were like, oh, okay, this is the moment that we need to really get started and make mm. The title 
Well, and then, I mean, so we had knocked around um, a couple of titles and our board is lovely. It was another one of those moments. We came back to them at the next board session. We're like, yes, we're doing this. Here's what we think, blah, blah, blah. And we shared all of our ideas with them. And they're like, you guys are way more interesting than the titles that you are bringing to us. <laughs> Brilliant. And so obviously the title comes from, a, there is a nod here to the sort of Facebook, you know, move fast, break shit ethos. So, you know, we both have sort of connections to Silicon Valley. But the other pivotal part about it is as we're doing that, and this is, we're sort of thinking about what happens when catalysts aren't aware of the things that we put in the book. And so the title is Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout, because that's our sort of default if we're not intentional about claiming our catalyticness and using mm. the tools. And so then we obviously said, that's not the recipe. The guide, this book is the recipe for, for living, living and working well. Um, and it's funny because people are often like, are you advocating for that? And we're like, no, we're talking about our normal state of being if we don't have the awareness. And as we went through that process, we also got a bunch of, you know, cover suggestions from the, from the publisher. And I have to give kudos to Tracy because she leaned in hard to the, to the bolt right, right away. But the thing that ended up resonating with us is, you know, corporate rebels, punk rockers, there's this mm. other thing that we get called. And so this, we took the most boring, typical white, black and white book and basically tagged it with a red lightning bolt because that's the energy and yeah. potentially the chaotic energy that we bring if we aren't being careful. <laughs> so, and Tracy just got a, um, a red shirt with a silver lightning bolt for Christmas this year. So I, I should be wearing that. Walking that's, the talk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> That's excellent. And it, it is right. That's what you see first as you look at the book. And I think it's interesting because it's almost a book about how not to move fast, break shit and burn out. That's the irony. And that's yeah. what catalysts don't understand. And they're like, but the, and we'll talk more about it. But they're like, oh, the things that you're talking about feel like they're going to slow me down so much. But it actually is faster in the end because you don't have to rectify all of the mistakes that you made along the way. And you mm. don't burn out as much because you're not having to put all of that energy in there and you create change more successfully. So yeah, that's you, the recipe. You've got to step back though, haven't you? And take the time to actually look at what you're doing and understand it. That's right. Which brings me to the, the sort of three steps of your book around defining the catalyst, supporting the catalyst and realizing the catalyst, if you like. And it sounds simple, but clearly it isn't. And we know it isn't. But as with every leadership or entrepreneurial discussion and journey, there is an inside process and an outside process. And, you know, you tell us in your book that catalysts are those who have a deep rooted need for, to, for positive change, to create it, and an unmet need to be seen and valued for who they are and also how they show up in the world. And I'm sure this is resonating with almost all our listeners at the moment. When I read that sentence, I thought, yeah, yes, that, that's correct. And it just brought me to the understanding of defining what a catalyst is. So can you just walk us through why we need to define and take us through the process of defining, supporting, and realizing the catalyst in his or her role? Absolutely. So when we think about the definition of catalyst, I can start with the attributes that we see that catalysts have in common mm -hmm. from, from the beginning research. And there were five key things that we had in common. And then a sixth thing that's consistent and you'll see why it's kind mm. of separate. So first and foremost is that we are people who are scanning the world constantly, taking in lots of information and synthesizing that information within the context that we sit very quickly compared to people around us. Mm. So that's number one, right? It's just this like 
constant way of being, of just coming in, coming in, seeing things, synthesizing. The next attribute that that leads to is that we're recognizing opportunities and possibilities of how to make the world around us better as we're scanning. And this Mm. happens for most of us in lots of ways, right? I walk into a supermarket and I'm like, the layout of this market does not optimally work. (laughs) I would do it like this. I'm sitting in a meeting, right, with an organization and I'm saying, this meeting could be running far better. I am, you know, within Mm. an organizational context for some time and I'm saying, wow, the things I hear the, you know, executive team talking about are not necessarily the most important things that are happening in the space in the marketplace. There's a really big disconnect, right? So we see these opportunities in lots of levels in all the time with, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that we get asked about is partnership and, and spouses, we, we very much can see all the opportunities for our spouses to grow and develop, which is problematic, right? So once we children, see, <laughs> children, right? And so you know, once we have these, these possibilities dancing in front of us, we are forming them in divisions. Mm-hmm. And for many of us as catalysts, we don't even know it's been formed. We haven't even gotten to the point of saying it to ourselves or externalizing it, but we have seen it. We've seen the way the world can be better. Mm. compared to how it is today. And then that next step is we cannot stop ourselves from moving into action. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, it's almost like before we even know we have the vision, our head is moving toward making that vision reality. And then that fifth attribute is that once we're in motion toward it, mm. we very naturally using like an experimentation mindset, a design thinking mindset to make it better iteratively. Mm. So I take a step and I'm like, oh, that was the wrong step. I need to go right instead of left. I need to talk to this person instead of that person. And then the final thing, as I said, you know, one thing was not necessarily our shared attributes is often how other people talk about us. And this is important when we talk to catalysts, because many of us have never heard of this term. We haven't thought of ourselves Mm. this way. And so something we can use as a litmus test is do other people talk about you as moving faster, right? right? As always being willing to maybe take a risk, mm. even if it doesn't feel risky to you, because you've already seen the endpoint. Mm. They haven't connected that information. And so they think that you're probably jumping. You may be described as intuitive, right? And so these are ways that we find that other people talk about us that may not even be something that we claim because it just feels so right in our body. Yeah. yeah. The shorthand is we see opportunities to, to make the world better and we cannot stop ourselves from moving into action. And I just think one of the interesting things, uh, which isn't, which comes from the book as well, is Shannon, I love it when you say that design thinking is like the way your brain works. And, you know, it normalizes your internal process. And that was really helpful for me because I'm a big fan of design thinking. I use it all the time. And, you know, I use it to frame and explain and make things tangible for people because you can use the framework to, to get them to go through different steps that, feel so obvious for me and it was really it was a light bulb moment for me when I read that and thought yeah in fact that's exactly what it's doing that's my that's my innate process you know understanding the emotions and the needs setting emotion connecting the dots almost you know that kaleidoscope movement that we just sort of live in so I think the definition is really important not only for others but also for 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 catalysts so how do we get from definition to support then? Once, you know, if hypothetically, 
I've stood there and thought, wow, that's me. That's me. I get those attributes. They explain a lot of how I think and feel. And then what? Well, I mean, if we go back to why we wrote the book, this is another reason why we wrote the book, because Mm -hmm. uh, the key here is that other catalysts can find other catalysts to understand them. So one is, okay, now that you know yourself, you can start to articulate to your family. It's a conversation that you can have now, right? And many people have written us back and said, this was incredible for my marriage. I now understand (laughs) what my wife or husband was, what the frustration was that I didn't have language for before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can also bring that to your boss or your team or the people that you're you're managing. Um, So just that self-awareness and some of the language and models that we talk about in the book are helpful. The next probably most important part is connecting with other catalysts. And so, um, you know, in the work that we do, when we do classes, as an example, we say very upfront, like the material's great. Everyone, you know, we have incredible NPS scores for all of the courses that we do. But we say the number one thing that we hear back from people who attend the classes is just how healing it was to be in community with other catalysts. Mm. Um, It's a pretty common occurrence at some point in our essentials class that someone will break down in tears, but it's from relief. Mm. It's from being seen finally. It's like, I'm not damaged. We've gotten all of these labels our whole lives. You're too fast. You're too loud. You're too much. You're all these like two things, right? And so this is the place where it's like, actually, not only are you too whatever, you're deeply seen and supported and people might actually be encouraging you to think even bigger. So that's, I mean, I think that's one of the big things is that's why we needed to create sort of like the Bible or the tone that people could have the language to then talk to other people and also find find their peers and join the global movement. And I think it also helps you understand personal experiences in the workplace where exactly what you're saying, people don't get what you're talking about, but they don't want to tell you that they don't get what you're talking about. Right. I mean, it reminds me of a meeting where somebody very high up just turned around and said, I just don't think you know what you're talking about. And I was like, all the time, how how can he think? I I don't know what I'm talking about. But he just clearly didn't get and I didn't bother explaining further because for me, it was obvious. And it just stayed in that gray in between space of, oh, okay, maybe it's not a good idea. And I think you can get lost in that space quite easily, can't you? Yeah. And um, that's, that's 100% right. And it's one of the biggest places where catalysts fail is if yeah. we move off of, so Tracy mentioned, you know, the design thinking sort of mindset, well, we move from vision, action, iteration, that's our normal way of yeah. moving through the world. But if you step off the vision block without having people really clear with you about what the next thing is, you've already lost the game, yeah. right? And so many times, like, you know, I'd be sharing a, a, the, the updated strategy and I'd be sitting in the room with all of the heads nodding, 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 nodding. I'd, I'd, I'd pad it by 20 minutes because I knew people took different amounts of time to ingest the information and I'd just keep talking. All of the heads are nodding and then you walk out of the room and you're turning left to go execute and most of the people are going right, going, what the hell are we just talking about? Yeah. So it is one of the biggest challenges. And I think, you know, going back to the support mechanisms, I mean, that's part of the work that we do with organizations is helping them to identify, connect and train their catalysts so that you're reducing because organizations do want catalysts. It's just that they don't know how to support them and the catalysts don't know how to bring them along. So if you can work with a leadership team to help them develop the skills that are important, things like psychological safety, like mm. someone telling you that you don't know what you're talking about, of course you weren't going to go back to that person and explain it after the fact that's not inviting conversation right <laughs> not so how do 
do we help the executives say, I'm really curious about that. Can you tell me more? Like I value your role as a change maker and a vision seeker in our organization. We need Mm -hmm. people like you. How can I support you? And likewise, how do we help the catalysts develop the sort of influence and communication skills and all the tools that we can talk about to help them make them more successful? So that's how we help organizations. And it's a key thing for catalysts to feel safe and stay in organizations. I was just talking with someone yesterday. We're prepping for for a panel. And I was like, what's your one piece of advice to catalysts who are trying to create this kind of change? And he's like, if their vision of change isn't aligned with what you want to do, quit. And that is where we end up a lot of the time. So we want to help organizations understand that some of their most high impact individuals need just a little bit of support and connectivity to help the organization continue to exist. Yeah, because I think you already have a lot of untapped potential in organizations because of definitions of talent and culture and lots of things. And then you have these people who are just dying to do things differently and and innovate. And then then that's that's really hard. And, And I think asking the right questions, which would mean that you have the right environment for you to be able to ask those questions and for more senior members to get curious. That's right is really important, but quite rare, I think, in terms of... 100%. So our vision is to have like the 100 top places for catalysts to work. And those are the qualities that we would be looking for in leadership teams to sort of, you know, put them in that category. So we do have a downloadable web sheet, which is like questions that you can go back and ask your boss. It's like a conversation starter for how to... Yeah, yeah, for for, this is what I need. How How can you do that, right? And I think it's really important for the organizations to understand that the way that they've been defining high potential, I mean, to your point, there's a lot of people that are getting missed by those things. But one of the things, it's pretty straightforward with Catalyst because we work across silos. So we don't usually have one executive that's even noticing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sort of traditional, this is a little bit cynical, but the traditional definition of high potential, unspoken definition that is, is they follow rules really well. Here's your KPIs, go crush them. Yeah. And they manage up really well. So the people who are really good at managing up, almost sometimes aside from delivery, um, often end up in hypo programs. Catalysts are the troublemakers who are creating change in the seams, who are igniting people without their... The, organization even understanding that it's a thing that they need yet or Mm. can measure. And so this is the conversation we have with both line of business people and HR people is like Mm. your hypo is not a 21st century hypo program. And it's certainly not going to help you get through VUCA. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the catalysts keep it at an operational level so that they it can move fast and they can get results and they keep it intentionally, if I speak for me, under the radar until there's something tangible to show and there's a sort of they're closer to the vision and I think often that bit gets missed because like you say there isn't a space for it in terms of visibility or recognition in organizations and they don't necessarily manage upwards around that project because it's so obvious to them and that's where I love in your book the idea of breadcrumbing of leaving a trail not only for understanding but also for acknowledgement because they're so hell bent on getting that sort of change out there that they're not bothered about acknowledging the successes that they've had along the way or they're just moving fast and by the time they get there they'll have another idea so I think breadcrumbing really stuck with me visually but also just as an idea of just for everyday things of just making sure people understand how you've got to where you are and what you're asking them to do. 
I, I think that, that's 100% right. But there's one thing that I would add before breadcrumbing. And this is the crux of the catalyst challenge is we may see the thing so clearly, but we may not have gone around and listened deeply or mm. brought people in on the co-creation of the idea. And this is where we get called, you're too arrogant, you're too fast, like you're too self-righteous because it does seem really clear to us. So as part of the breadcrumbing, so you know what she's talking about, what she's talking about is this, this concept of constantly collecting the data and, and capturing it in ways that you can almost visualize it, demonstrate it to other people. And, and there's even more underneath that. Part of what we should be tracking in our breadcrumbing is, look, this isn't Shannon's idea. Shannon spoke with, you know, 40 different C-level customers and synthesized that data and, and, and then aligned it to the corporate strategy to this OKR. And now this is where we need to go. Oh, and by the way, I talked with, you know, 10 internal product owners who think that we can do this. That's a completely different conversation than Shannon went out and like came up with a great idea and takes it to the executives and say, well, you give me $10 million, right? I mean, like those are fundamentally different. And this is a place where it feels really hard. And that we talked about this in the title of the book, that slowing down process, that bringing other people along can feel painful. And we have to acknowledge it is emotional labor for the catalyst. That is the work that we are doing for the organization. And as we're doing that, what we should be tracking is, all of those things that we've done and breadcrumbing them along the way. So I would literally every like twice a year, I would create spreadsheets of, of especially when I was running the innovation program at Vodafone of the people that I talked to. I was like, this didn't come from me. Mm. And, and I just think the deep listening, I remember somebody giving me feedback saying, you're just more excited about the process and seeing it work and watching the change than the people. And I was really offended. And then I thought you can't be offended because that's constructive feedback. And that's the, the way they're seeing what you're doing. But it, was, but it was a big light bulb moment for me because for me, it's all about the human systems. But clearly, that isn't the way I was interacting. So that was really interesting. And that's where I really like the book. It's like a mix of case studies and personal stories and coaching moments and, and a playbook for reflection, but also for action. And you talk a lot about self-compassion. And if I think of all that emotional labor and, you know, I'm a big fan of Kristin Neff's work. Um, and, and where does self-compassion fit for you in, in the Catalyst model? Why is it so important? I love that you um, brought up Neff and um, I actually, so in between leaving the corporate world and and going full-time into CatCon, I actually did the mindfulness self-compassion certification. I did it twice um, because I think it's so powerful. And I have sent many people, many catalysts have come through our programs Mm. to MSC classes because I think it is an essential foundational tool. And I loved what you said earlier. So now what we're focusing on is the internal process. The breadcrumbing yeah. and the everything is the external process. Being a catalyst is fucking hard. Yes, agreed. And so we come with a lot of trauma and damage and negative self-talk. The other book that I would highly recommend is Highly Sensitive People. I cried my way through that book. And I think there's a strong overlap with, with that and with ADHD and, and, and yeah. a lot of the sort of cognitive diversity things. It's hard and people don't understand. And we can't always take that blame on ourselves. So when we start to sort of self-acknowledge and be a catalyst, it's easy to beat yourself up for all of the things that you could have done that you didn't do now that you know what you could have done. And we have to let that go. We've all been doing our best and catalysts are almost always in service of creating a better world. So like the healing part is letting that go and recognizing other people didn't lean in with curiosity like your boss did either. It's mm-hmm. not all on you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a dynamic there. When we get to the self-compassion part, I think we also, there's this intersection with a key tool for a catalyst, which is the rejuvenation part, hmm. which also helps us 
just lead better lives full stop. I mean, I think if you ask Tracy and I, it's like, yes, we want you to create positive change in the world, but we want you to live beautiful, intentional, well, you know, lives. I don't, I hate, I hate well balanced because that's not a thing. Um, and so one of the big pivots is we don't do um, balance. <laughs> we, we would, we hear that catalysts won't invest the time for themselves when we start talking to them mm. about rejuvenation models and stuff. Um, Cause it seems like it's taking away from the work. And so the way that we get them to pivot that thinking is, on a, on a super productive, practical business level, you will be more effective if you take more breaks. And we have all the like bioscience that will tell us why that's important. But the big shift is take the break because you're worth it. Go spend time with your family because it's, it's, it's important to you, right? Yeah. If you ask me the one thing that I want people to take away from the book, it's self-compassion. And that's hard though, isn't it? In a, in a culture like most cultures where the emotional layer isn't explicit. The cognitive layer is very explicit and the emotional layer is less explicit. How would you suggest that catalysts staying in their organizations tap into the emotional layer of their internal process, but also of of where they're working? Shannon was talking beautifully, getting into the, the motivations of when we as catalysts begin to think about rejuvenation, self-compassion and and self-care. The, the switch that we so often see happen is an interim between, like, I want to live a great life. It's the realization that the change I want to make requires me to have a full battery, to have a full gasoline tank. Mm. If you come in empty and are trying to make the change you want, you do things like piss people off because you're so dysregulated that you can't control your emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. So when your boss comes at you and says, I don't think you know anything, you're like, that's because you're a stupid pig, right? And then we've lost the battle. As Shannon was talking about, the emotional work we have to do is mm-hmm. intense. And it starts with making sure we are regulated so that we can show up every day to do what Shannon said is the fucking hard work, but feels like we are failing as a human if we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the core of who we are. And so when we realize that the only way we can be successful in what matters to us in, you know, kind of any measure of success. Mm-hmm is to be full, then we begin to be able to say, okay, maybe taking a day off today instead of continuing to push is the smarter choice. Mm. Maybe actually using my vacation days so that I can get away and stop thinking about work and realize that there's other things that matter to me is going to make me more effective on the other side. Mm. Just that interim flip switching is so pivotal because on the other side of that moment, what we see is exactly what Shannon was talking about. This realization of me as a catalyst, like I can bring things to so much and I can get intentional and clear about what really matters to me. So one of our our favorite humans in the world is featured in this book, uh, in the book, her name is is Shakia. And we watched her go through this transition where she's like, I need to do everything for everyone because I can help so Mm. much Mm. to being able to say, Hey, these are the things that matter most to me to be able to really give support to those. I also need to listen to jazz. Mm. I need to be in my garden. 
I need to prioritize time with my husband. Mm. And once those became sacred, the way she created change in the world amplified crazily. Yeah. Right. So it's not just like, it's not a taking your foot off the brake and like I do less. It actually allows you to do more, Mm. which is so counterintuitive. Yeah. And it's, I do different, isn't it? It's not, I do less. It's I fill my cup differently, whether it's music or sport or whatever. That's so right. Yes. I would, I just want to add two other things because I think the self-compassion as the root is so important, obviously. Another thing that catalysts struggle with that can really undermine our our self-talk and our negative talk track is we often leave before the things are are finished, like the things that we started are finished for a lot of ideas. And so then if you ever get some like failure narrative from someone else or you get challenged on your worth or whatever, again, if catalysts aren't intentional, we can let that in because we'll look back and we'll be like, well, I wasn't there when that got across the finish line or that got across the finish line. So one of the tools to help us with the self-compassion is to recognize that's the role that we play and those things wouldn't have existed without us. So sort of like claiming our power as a form of self-compassion. And then implicit in what, what Tracy said is, I mean, I brought mindfulness practices into the work and I've been doing that for like 15 years. And part of the reason that I do it is for my own self-regulation. Like I will take a mindfulness moment. I gave a talk at MIT to this huge thing. And I was like, let's all just close our eyes and breathe for a minute. That was as much for me as it was for the other people. Mm. But as we start to create that space and bring it in, the other thing it helps us with is the empathy for the other people. Yeah oh, they're not as ready for change as I thought they were. Oh, this might be really scary for them in terms of their job security. Mm. If we're always in our own reactive mode and yeah. like a dog with a bone chasing the vision, we we miss those signals of bringing compassion to other people. And you know, to people dealing with change is similar to going through a grieving process for most people. So let's bring compassion to them and then bring them along on the journey. Yeah. You have to sort of lower the waterline, don't you? And step into a different space. I think I call it creating spaciousness, but, but I think, but I I think you do that by managing your inner leadership team, if you like. So you, you come from, you, you stand in a different place of purpose which requires distance, I think. But for me, that's one of the only ways that you can actually start building organizational empathy, which I think I've seen a lot of catalysts do without realizing it. And that's probably where they're draining their own energy. But actually meeting the organization where it's at, which is not normally where you are at, you know, takes quite a lot of energy, but also uses their superpowers, which you put into three distinct areas in in your book. Can you take us through the superpowers of of catalysts who have now been realized so we're at the end of that process that we've we've wandered through internal and external so what do their superpowers look like yeah we we did research uh, asking dozens of catalysts what is it that you see as your value and had them talk about it and that's where this this mm. comes from and going back to some of the discussion we we're talking about around breadcrumbing as i as i lead up to this What's important for us to know is that while these are superpowers, we often struggle to say them because they're so intuitive to us. And they are a different way of working than organizational hierarchies. And so what we do and how we achieve it is invisible to a lot of people. So that's the tee up as I'm about to share these three that like you probably do this without thinking. It's like Mm. breathing for you. 
And other people don't know how much work it takes to achieve what you do between the seams and the silos of your organization. Mm. So what are those three superpowers? The first one is our ability, as I said, in attributes to take in information. So we are quickly seeing possibilities and imagining futures. Mm. We assume that other people do this too. Yeah. We're like, well, everybody else had access to the same informa- information in that meeting. Of course, everyone came to the same conclusion. It's part of why we don't do what Shannon was talking about, of stop and say, hey, this is the vision I saw, because we feel like we're being redundant. Yeah. We almost feel like that vision was said in that meeting. Mm. Mm. But the truth is, it was just all the, the pieces of information that then clearly made that place visible to us. Mm. We see that end point really Mm. clearly yeah one did you have a question on that one I was just gonna say I love that tip of taking the step back and just reformulating just to check what's so obvious that you think has been understood has it really and that people either react to that or they don't but there will be people who will speak up and say no if they haven't understood it so I think that's a really interesting tip because it's not one that comes naturally is it no because you're like oh we all saw that of course we all know that we're going to step out of this room Mm. and go left (laughs) <laughs> and you don't know why everyone else turned right. Like it's, we don't even uh, understand yeah. the, the disconnect. <laughs> yeah. So then once we see those possible futures, mm-hmm. often what it takes to achieve something new doesn't sit within the existing structure. Mm-hmm. And so what we do, and Shannon was talking about this in our listening, is we go out and we're talking to the right people that either have the right influence or have the right set of experiences that sit in different parts of the organization. And so we're able to build relationships. We have a lot of empathy, right? We have pretty good listening skills, and we can activate those people to begin to move toward our change. And this work is invisible. Mm. And this is not the typical skill set that you see on any functional job description, right? <laughs> like, so this is how we get work done because we know that people have to be involved in shifting mindsets and ideas and behaviors. Mm. So then the third piece of the superpower is actually getting shit done, right? Like mm. the book, we are executors. We move possibility into reality. And this is the big bucket that really differentiates us from visionaries. Because mm-hmm. it, you know, in, in my time in tech, and I'm guessing you both too, there are people who could paint a picture and then they just stare at the audience, right? <laughs> Whereas a catalyst is far more likely to assume we all saw the picture and begin moving into execution. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we actually have to work sometimes to paint the vision because yeah. we are already making the vision happen. Yeah, it's almost like our it's, drug, isn't it? Operationalizing what what we're envisaging. <laughs> totally, because if we don't, it's like, you know, we have a child that's ready to be birthed in the world and it is physically painful to us mm. when we're not able to bring it into reality, which is a, a problem we have because we see so much opportunity mm. that we typically judge ourselves at the end of the day of all of the children we didn't birth today, of all the opportunities we didn't follow up on versus the ones that we did. Yeah. And so these three come together, right? I see the future. I'm able to activate people toward it and I'm creating execution and getting things done. And this is why we see the magic of the manifestation of what we do as catalysts. I mean, it sounds so simple and it's so clear, but I think often it's invisible, as you say, and it's often not clear 
to the people working on that that that's actually what they're doing. That's so, right. So, I mean, in the book, clearly you can't see because we're talking, but there's three concentric circles and it's really quite visual and quite impactful to just see it as those three circles. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is exactly what's, what's going on. Time is running, but I would like you to just walk us through the toolbox because, like I said, it's a mix of lots of things your book, including a playbook uh, with tools and tips and around action and orchestration. You know, and how do how do we do this and how can we do it more effectively? I can start with number I can start with the first thing, which I think is a really essential tool, which is the prioritization list. Mm. As a leader, I would always have both the objectives, sort of OKRs of the team up on a whiteboard next to my desk where everyone could see it. And I would have my own personal priorities listed. Um, Also developing the skill of having that not right now list is an important thing for Catalyst because going back to the self-compassion, we'll beat ourselves up for things that we couldn't have possibly fit into the calendar or sort of unconsciously holding ourselves accountable for. And the other thing that I I did in there in that prioritization list is I always had a list that was somehow related to self-care or rejuvenation, time with family, long weekend coming up, like whatever that thing was that was sustaining me. Because as a leader, I think it's also important for us to model this. Like this is a factor that I'm constantly evaluating and I may suck at it. I may only hit it like 50% of the time, but I'm constantly thinking about it and I support other people to do the same. Mm. So, I mean, I think the prioritization list is one key one because we have so many ideas that we could do (laughs) that would lead to the burnout if we're not, if Mm. we're not smart. Tracy? Yeah. And just to set up orchestration, you know, kind of take a step back if you haven't looked at the book. What we talk about as orchestration is like, if you think of yourself as an orchestra conductor, it's the idea that once you have a vision and you're seeing those steps towards execution toward it, that we advocate that you need to actually be the conductor of all the people involved to orchestrate the change. Some catalysts are amazing at this. Many of us don't love this part, which is why we take the detail Mm -hmm. to break this out because we just want it to happen. We want to go from Mm. vision to existence. Mm. And so the actual baby steps can feel really slow and painful. And we don't love the resistance when people can't see the vision or we have to take time to get them over the hump. Mm. So what we do in the book, and Susie's talking specifically about page 173, if you all are looking at the book, is we break out how to tackle these parts of orchestration. And so in the toolbox that Shannon was beautifully talking about, we start with the prioritization and then there's the regular reflection, which is at the heart of the vision action iteration, right? That every time we take a step intuitively, we are reflecting on what we learned and iterating, but we don't always do that explicitly. And so Mm -hmm. in the course of orchestration, when you're looking at the impact that your um, steps have on others, it's incredibly helpful to then pause and say, okay, so... I have this prioritization list on the board, like Shannon said. You know, how did the meeting go as we stepped Mm. through it? What were the emotional reactions? What was the body language? Did anyone fight? Did everyone go do it? What did they do after the meeting, right? Mm. So looking at what's happening with the orchestration with the people involved, as opposed to assuming everybody gets it as much as you do and is as motivated to do it as you are. Mm. (laughs) And then from a personal perspective, right, get it on your calendar. If you're Mm. orchestrating change, it can be easy for us to do magical thinking as catalysts because we're just like vision being. Right. Okay. There are lots of steps in between vision and being. And so one of the things that we forget to do is actually say, I have the finiteness of time. So I'm going to put it on my calendar 
And I'm going to like really be a little bit more thoughtful on what can I actually accomplish today? Because mm. other ways, as, I, as we mentioned earlier, we can tend to have a hundred things when maybe we have time for seven. Mm. And then we are angry at ourselves. We are lacking self-compassion because of the 93 we didn't get done. Even though with reality check, you couldn't have done it anyway, mm. but we still judge ourselves for it. And then there are really specific tools in helping to think about how do we orchestrate an influence that we mentioned, like a network map. Mm. Because when you're trying to create change in an organizational environment, there's a lot of actors. Mm. And and to create influence, that's often a one-on-one activity, and we cannot touch every single person in an organization directly. So we have to get thoughtful on, okay, who do we need to talk to? Who has the power? Who's Mm. the decision maker? Who are the influencers? Who are my active resistors? Who's somewhere on the fence in this type Mm. of change, right, that Mm. I might be able to turn? And so we think about that and map that, and then that helps us be much more intentional with our action. And one thing I would say about the network map, I mean, this is a tool that I've used for a really long time because it really helps. Like when you're trying to create change, it does become an intuitive tool. But the thing that I always encourage my teams to do is like, okay, let's get the lay of the land. Often catalysts are coming in new to a role or an organization. So having people who can you know, really thoughtfully help you navigate and create that network map, like where are the centers of power? Where are the catalyst-friendly leaders and things like that? Super important. But don't wait like until you're ready to go ask them for something. So I, you know, I was helping, I helped my teams um, sort of one of the homework exercises that they would get is practicing their active listening, which you were talking about earlier by reaching out to people around the organization who you know made it into our landscape on the network map somehow what this does is it actually gets you so that your spidey senses are activated earlier because if you go without an objective and you're really just listening to them you'll start to hear the trends across the organization but you're also doing really powerful trust building like when's the last time and then at work someone called you up and didn't have a thing that they were asking for from you. And I'm not talking Mm. about wasting people's time. I mean, I want to be clear that you're framing that the right way. So this is part of the learning journey. It's like, do this early and often so that Mm. when you are coming to them, you already know what their thinking process is. Mm. And then you can bring them on and say, listen, I heard of the last three quarters, you say that this was a problem. Here's how my team's responding to it. I love your thoughts and see how we can partner on this. Yeah. So you're building your human system, aren't you? hundred percent and intentionally designing it. And you don't know always where it's going to go. So like investing, investing that time up front can, can accelerate change on the back end of that. And then the last two we have, or last three we have on page 174 over communication, which almost (laughs) seems silly to have to put as a word. But again, because we see the vision and we assume other people do, it's not just communication. It is, you know, we want, we want catalysts to remember you actually want to feel like you're over communicating. Mm. You want to feel like you've said it too many times. You do want to be the politician that I don't, that's not true. I don't, I'm not advocating be a politician, but something politicians do well is every city they stop in every time they are on an interview, they say the same things over and over again. Mm. And that is the mentality because we can feel like we're being pedantic and, and rude. But the truth is, if you look at, you know, earlier in the book, we talked about how slow it takes for people's relationship to an idea to change. And every time they hear an idea, they're actually in a different relationship to it. So Mm. in some ways, you're not repeating it. I know that sounds weird because it's actually the same words you're saying, but they are experiencing something different on the other side Mm. every time they hear it from you. And I'll leave it in the book to to have you read that Mm. and understand that a little bit more. Breadcrumbing, we have talked about. And then the last one, Susie, you actually 
talked about beautifully, right? The creating the space for change. And you talked about your, your key thoughtfulness here is spaciousness. Yeah. And that's not just for yourself, but that's also a compassion for spaciousness of the people that you're working with. Yeah. And I think in these sort of fast paced delivery driven environments, it's so hard to find, but also to feel spaciousness inside and outside, you know? We love the, um, we often cite the Ariana um, Huffington letter to Elon Musk, where she's like, (laughs) your culture is toxic because people need to sleep. They need spaciousness. Like if we have to advocate for that as our starting point, (laughs) we have some big challenges ahead of us, right? Absolutely. And on that question of challenges, what what is the biggest challenge that you're seeing today for catalysts in organizations? And I'm not sure you can boil it down to just one. So I, I can't do one. What I will say is we know that, I mean, burnout is in the title of the book. We know that sort of anecdotally, the catalyst community suffers from burnout more than the average population. You add a global pandemic onto that. And like, it's, it's, it's incredibly, it's something that everyone, myself included, are dealing with. But I think sort of away from the broad strokes, one of the really interesting things, we have a thing called the Catalyst Leadership Trust, which is for uh, catalyst executives. And as part of that program, we do sort of independent research ignited by what the community is interested in. Mm-hmm. And as they looked at the future of work, because obviously that's a top topic yeah. for everyone. One of the really interesting things was they're like, actually, um, teams, the research says that teams haven't taken a big hit in terms of trust and collaboration and things like that. What has taken a big hit is the cross silo trust yeah. building and communication that we were just talking about, because those were the things that aren't on your Zoom call. Those were the conversations yeah. you had at the cafeteria, at the water cooler, at dinner, after work or whatever. And we know that this is already one of the places where catalysts have traditionally leveraged their superpowers mm-hmm. to get stuff done. And so this, I think, is going to be one of the big hits that catalysts in particular are going to really have to intentionally design yeah. into their process. Yeah. Whereas before it was implicit, wasn't it? It, it was. You would just, you would walk down happened. the hall or you'd be in some other random meeting, but like yeah. we're so, we're so boxed in with our yeah. Zoom calls now. Yeah. 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 Okay. And time is running, but I would like to ask you to just take the time to give us your call to action. If you had one call to action for our listeners thinking, that's me, I'm a catalyst, but I don't quite know what to do with that realization. What would be your call to action to them? This is Tracy. For me, the call to action starts with, Deeply embodying the reality you're not alone, right? And and you were talking about this early, Susie. Like it, mm. we can feel so out on the edge and and so disruptive. And Shannon was saying too muchness. So find the place that you can come together with Catalyst twice a year at Catalyst Constellations. We have a free event called the Catalyst Empowerment Summit. You can find it online on LinkedIn. If you you know want to start somewhere, come and join us there. We, you know, that's a place that we we create community for free mm. to just come and be with your people and feel normal. Mm. Find your tribe. Mm-hmm. Find your tribe. So that would have been my first pick. My second pick then is just going back to the self-compassion piece. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of tools out there. And we talk about it. The whole second day is about supporting ourselves sustainably as change makers. Um, so we build that deeply in. But however you do it, I think the one of the most powerful things that we can do for our change making uh, uh, success and for leading, leading, leading full and intentional lives of self-compassion. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with self-compassion and regenerative mindful practices. 
Thank you so much for coming and sharing your research, your insights, your stories. Where can people find out more about you and what you do over and above the summit that's happening next week, I think, and that happens monthly, does it? It happens twice a year. Twice a so year. We, we, at the beginning of the year and then the middle mm-hmm. of the year. You can find us. We have a website, catalystconstellations.com. We have all the things that we do on there. You can also personally find Shannon Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy on LinkedIn. And we love it hearing your personal story. So feel free to send us a direct message. Excellent. Thank you. And I will let our listeners go and discover your book and themselves. That's right. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode and all the learning it brought. And if you did, please head over to iTunes and give us your feedback and review. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.